This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. In this season of the winter solstice and the beauty and appreciative contemplation that mark the celebrations of winter holidays around the world, I very much wanted this week's Cultivating Place to acknowledge the beauty, the diversity, the value and fragility of our native plants and their communities. No matter where you garden or cultivate place now, or where you might have done so through your life, the native plants of any place are what signify, identify, and root that place as its own. Native plants, whether they are ornamental, edible, useful, common, rare, or endangered, all cultivation and gardening is based upon these native plants of somewhere. This week, I really wanted to honor the native plants of my place, the native plants of California. California is one of the world's biodiversity hotspots, with more native and endemic plants than certainly anywhere I have lived or gardened before now. To help me in this celebration of the plants of our own places, my guest today is Michael Kaufman, editor-in-chief of Backcountry Press and author of several books exploring the natural history of some signature plants of the western forest, including, and so seasonally appropriate, conifer country, conifers of the Pacific Slope, and a field guide to manzanitas. As of January 2017, Michael is also the editor of Fremontia, the journal of the California Native Plant Society. Happy holidays to you in your place. Michael is a wilderness-loving plant explorer. He grew up in the eastern deciduous forests of Virginia, where, as he states on his website, he would stare out the window in the winter, hooting for barred owls, and he would wonder, why are some of those trees still green? He nurtured his evergreen conifer fascination in the Appalachian Mountains during college, and he earned a degree in biology from Virginia Tech in 1996. His love of the outdoors eventually brought him to California, where he taught environmental education for many years, spending his summers exploring the mountains of the Southwest. He now lives in Neeland, California, with, as he describes her, his beautiful wife, Allison, his son, Silas, and dog, Skyler. Besides writing, he works as a devoted teacher, both at the elementary and college levels, and one could argue on a broadly public level through his writing and his outreach. Welcome, Michael. Thanks very much, Jennifer. That was a nice introduction. I have had the pleasure of interviewing you before, quite a few years ago now, when your first book came out. And I have had the pleasure of hearing you speak at the Chico State Herbarium annual meeting one year talking about some of your passions. I know you, yeah. were, you were brought up in the Eastern Deciduous Forest, but tell us a little bit more about your the early influences in your life that brought you to a love of nature and of cultivating nature and the sort of education of it. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, obviously, it, uh, the first place to start, at least obvious to me, is my parents. They were, um, they are wonderful. 
folks and and getting me out now they weren't big campers they weren't big hikers but we always went on cool vacations and um lived in in a, in a beautiful house with two acres in that deciduous forest where i would hoot, hoot for barred owls as i said and um so they just provided those early experiences and helped nurture my interest. They could, they obviously saw in me that I like to run around outside and build forts, and they encouraged that sort of thing. And I also um, need to thank them for encouraging me to join the Boy Scouts because that's really where I got into camping and hiking. Um, without those early experiences doing that, it might have taken me a lot longer uh, to discover that interest. But um, when I headed off to college... I knew I wanted to be a biologist because of my high school biology teacher. My senior year took a class called wet and dry biology and he ran us around in the swamps of Virginia, taught us trees, taught us about the animals that live there. And that was really my first hands-on course where I was outside, I was getting dirty, um, falling in the swamps and, uh, and learning things. So my, High school biology teacher was a major influence in developing my interest in place-based education, taking me into the field. And after that, like I said, I went into uh, the University of Virginia Tech and studied biology. And from there, I was off and running, uh, running around the Appalachians, climbing mountains, finding conifers on the tops of those mountains. And that's really where my interest in rare plants and, and unusual cool plants started to develop. And then you migrated west um, to California, and you really increased or, or deepened this curiosity and wonder uh, when you got here. Talk a little bit about that journey with, with the yeah. conifers here. Well, again, this was my mom probably regrets it now because I live so far away from her. But after I um, graduated, she encouraged me to look at jobs, uh, sort of environmental jobs. There was some publication back then in 96 called Environmental Opportunities or something to that effect. And they had all these environmental jobs across the world. And I ended up finding one in California where I could be an outdoor educator with the Tulare County Office of Education, Tulare County's uh, down between Bakersfield and Fresno. So that was my first job out of college. And what I, what I got to do for a whole year was live on a 2,000-acre ranch that was owned by the Tulare County Office of Education, and every sixth grader in the county would come to that ranch for a week during the school year, and it was my job to walk them around and teach them place-based education. Um, and really what I learned was not only about the environment because I was out there, but I learned how to ask questions through the experiences that the kids brought to me as well. You know, they would, they would think they would see things differently than I would. And, you know, so it was a, really a 35 week learning experience out in the natural world with those students every, every week of that, that year. And then I continued that position. That was only a one year gig. So I continued that with Los Angeles County and Los Angeles County has a similar outdoor science school that it's, um, you can. It's more of a steady pay, I guess. So I kept that job for six years. So basically, for for seven, my first seven years, you know, all through my twenties, out of college, I got to play outside with sixth graders and uh, teach outdoor science. Which sounds like you are perfectly suited to. I think this is one of the aspects of your work that 
resonates with me and is really, I find, compelling over your whole career. This real love and reverence that you have for both the places you're experiencing and the audiences whom you are educating, whether they be sixth graders or whether they be retired and active professors at a university level. I think one of the things that I find so heartening about what you do is that you, in the writing of your books, so I'd I'd like to move to talking about your books a little bit, but in the writing of your books, not only do you share your passion for these plants and these environments with the readers, but you also really invite them to come into these places to to visit them to get to know them to to enjoy them as much as you do and that invitation has this um, this undercurrent of your expectation that everybody is worthy of coming to these places is able to learn you expect them to succeed and to be as reverent and respectful in these places as you are and I just find that really a wonderful atmosphere that you provide through your work tell us about the journey of your books and the progression so far so once I taught for outdoor education for seven years I decided I needed to get a teaching credential and move into the classroom so that I could experience what the students were experiencing. You know, I, obviously I'd done it when I was in kindergarten through 12th grade, but I needed to see it from the teacher's perspective. I needed to be in the classroom and, and see how I could create an engaging environment there and not just running around in the woods all day, which made it pretty easy. So I moved to Humboldt, got my teacher credential, got a great job working in the schools up here teaching seventh grade math and science. But every summer I found myself running around in the Klamath Mountains and at first, it it was just what I did. You know, I would just go backpacking, and I'd go see all the places that I, I could study maps and go to this mountain or that mountain. But as I was in the Klamath, and also earlier in my career at Los Angeles County, I would find myself on mountaintops, and I would find myself with these spectacular trees like conifers. These are the environments that conifers uh, thrive in, or the, the more the inhospitable environments higher elevations, northern latitudes, and I started to realize how unique the Klamath Mountains were. So that's when I began my pursuit of writing Conifer Country. My goal there was to create a combination natural history to understand why the conifer diversity was there, but also combine it with a hiking guide so it gave people access or, or ways to understand this diversity, places they could go I could sort of walk them through the trees that were going to be there, and hopefully that would develop uh, the appreciation in people. And, so, and that's really been my top-level goal in life. And I didn't really realize it until recently, but connecting people to the natural world is what I do. And, you know, when I first started the concept of, the, of Conifer Country, I was worried because I saw it as inviting more people into nature and maybe you know, the potential that things places could get crowded was was a difficult for me to wrap my head around but what i started to see in my students at the same time was that there was a lack of connection to the natural world mm-hmm. so at the same time um i found it very important to get people outside because i feel like that's happening less and less so anyway, the point is that these books started to evolve out of my experiences, me sharing those experiences, and they've been very well received. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because they are destination-based, even in Conifers of the Pacific Slope, which is a field guide to all the conifers of California, Oregon, and Washington, I mention about 30 destinations in those three states to go see conifers, to go, you know, the real hot spots, the real interesting places. Where There's also a focus on places that maybe aren't as well preserved or protected as they could be. So things are blossoming out of that. You know, I'm starting to work with the California Wilderness Coalition on potentially designating more natural areas and wilderness areas in Northwest California based on biological diversity. So I don't know. It's kind of nice the way these cycles come and the way um, uh, the books have evolved and people are getting outside and using them. And you, you had the confident, some might say crazy, impulse to start a print press house for books yeah. of this nature, for, for which I completely applaud you. And it's been several years now, and the list of titles coming out of Backcountry Press are, I think, of really high caliber in this genre of books and information. I understand you have a new book out. Tell us a little bit about that book. Yeah, well, let me just back up and, and mention Backcountry Press. This It was really the right thing at the right time. I... Technology was changing fast enough in both the digital world of being able to lay out a book for um, you know, using software like the Adobe Suite, and then also the print technology. So I don't actually do the printing, but I do all the layout, and I contract the printing at a, at a print press in California. And the reason I went that direction is because I had publishers, other um, UC presses and things like that that were interested in Conifer Country, but they wanted the rights to all my writing and all my images, and there wasn't a high return. And it wasn't that I was trying to get rich off this. I'm still not <laughs> getting rich off any of this. But at the same time, I've maintained control of my content, and I can use that in different ways to um, both promote uh, the books, promote uh, just getting outside into nature. So it really was a, uh, the optimal timing for me to get this going. And then the other bonus of the Backcountry Press is that I can choose to pay a little bit extra and print it on recycled paper, and I can choose a print press in California. And actually, my last, our most recent book was printed right here in Humboldt County, which couldn't even have been done five years ago. So that just goes to show how fast this technology is changing and making it more accessible for people. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so that's the, and then also Conifer Country turned into my master's thesis at Humboldt State University. Um, so it was peer-reviewed by numerous professors and other ecologists. So that also gave me the confidence that, okay, even if it is self-published, it's peer-reviewed, it's been okayed by a committee, it's my master's degree. Um, and Conifers of the Pacific Slope was similar. They, they were both, they're both sort of uh, similar in some ways, so that was also peer-reviewed by um, other um, tree lovers and ecologists. And then... Um, my third book, Field Guide to Manzanitas, was written with a couple of professors at, at San Francisco State. So, um, so yeah, so yes, they're self-published, and but I've also branched out and published books for other folks. I've done a couple of hiking guides, and I've also done a collection of essays by David Raines Wallace, who wrote The Klamath Knot. And um, so, if the right project comes along, I've been interested in in doing work for other people as well. And so, yeah, back to your original question, our most recent publication is a hiking guide to Humboldt County, 
that was written by a local author here in Eureka. And that it actually came out about seven or eight months ago. And we're working on a volume two. So volume one was a short, or, I'm sorry, volume one was long hikes across Humboldt County, five miles or more. And then volume two is going to be shorter hikes and, you know, more for the family um, sort of uh, the short adventures for the day. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting. And I've got a couple other projects in the works as well. It's, it's slow going because I have a bunch of different jobs and I have to keep up with uh, a four-year-old. But my goal with Backcountry Press is to try to get a book out a year. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Today we're speaking with Michael Kaufman, author of Conifer Country, Conifers of the Pacific Slope, and a field guide to Manzanitas, as well as being editor of Backcountry Press and oncoming editor of Fremontia, the journal of the California Native Plant Society. We'll be right back after a break to hear more about his personal efforts at educating us and encouraging us to know the plants around us better and in person. Stay with us. Welcome back. Before the break, we began our conversation with Michael Kaufman, author of Conifer Country, Conifers of the Pacific Slope, and A Field Guide to Manzanitas. In 2012, he founded Backcountry Press, and we'll learn more now about his new role as editor of Fremontia, the esteemed journal of the California Native Plant Society, and the importance of this work to Michael personally. Do you and Allison have a home garden? We do. We are lucky enough to live on a five-acre parcel of redwood forest. Only about a half acre is treeless. So we're a little bit limited in what we can grow, but we do have some nice natives that attract pollinators, things like nine bark and azaleas and rhododendrons. And we try to grow what we can. It's a little limited, but we can get potatoes. We can get some greens like chard and kale. We've had some luck with carrots. And uh, we also have some um, fruit trees that are just getting established. But I think my favorite part of gardening in the redwoods is actually maintaining the forest itself. We actually practice some disturbance within the redwood forest to limit the growth of the sword ferns and to enhance the reproduction of certain um, lilies, in particular the Scolipus biglovii, the fetid adder's tongue, and also Mm. Trillium ovatum. So we actually disturb and remove the sword ferns in the winter so that there's uh, ample light and space for some of those lilies to come back in the spring. And is there a relationship in your experience between this small-scale cultivation of place and your relationship with the larger-scale place-based education that you believe in and work for? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've always been a proponent of getting outside, getting your hands dirty, and uh, getting to know the earth in that respect. And And I think that between um, gardening and just understanding how native plants play an important role in biodiversity, really enhances our uh, our connection with the natural world. What are you doing with the CNPS, and what inspired you to take that on? Yeah, good question. It was one of those opportunities that I couldn't say no to. So that's been taking some of my time away from Backcountry Press recently, but it's been a lot of fun. Basically, I was offered the job as editor for their journal Fremontia, as well as their bulletin. And CNPS has about 9,000 members right now and um, across the world, really, but obviously focused in California because of the uniqueness of the flora of California, the 
California Native Plant Society, well, the size of California as well, but the California Native Plant Society is a pretty good-sized organization. So the bulletin is a um, four times a year it's a newsletter, kind of keeps people up on native plant news across the state. There's uh, a bunch of chapters across the state, so people from those chapters will submit stories that might be going on in their chapter, like um, uh, in the Bay Area, new plants being discovered or rediscovered, you know, just exciting stories about um, about native plants, you know, and, and the uniqueness and rarity of, of different areas and, and the plants in those areas. And then the, the journal Fremontia is, is really exciting to me as well because this is a journal that is scientific, but it also is a journal that's supposed to be accessible to a very broad audience. And that's really the niche that I feel like I do a good job of filling. I, I'm, I find something that I find interesting and I can take it and then make it accessible to a wide audience, whether it's um, uh, professors at a university or somebody that's just reading about plants for maybe the first time. And uh, Fremontia is supposed to inspire folks with its stories to, again, connect people to the wonder of California's flora, but also inspire them to ask questions and see how scientific research can be conducted to answer some of those questions. So we've got, we're working on a, um, the next issues. Uh, I'm working with Kat Anderson from UC Davis, and many people may know her from her book, Tending the Wild. But it's a whole issue on geophytes, which are plants that sort of store underground energy in a tuber or a root or a bulb or a corm, and um, it, it runs the gamut. I mean, it's just really it's a great learning curve for me as well. So we touch on Native American uses and, and how these um, plants can be cultivated in a garden and also how these plants are actually um, – not doing as well as they were a couple hundred years ago because of the lack of disturbance in the landscape. So all of these things are, are ways for me to learn, but also to share the, the uniqueness of the California flora. I was very excited to learn from you that you had taken on this role. I think it's wonderful that we have such an educator in the position and one that is so broadly um, able and excited. And I'm really excited about that new issue of Fremontia. I had a wonderful interview with the Theodore Payne Foundation um, on Cultivating Place earlier this spring about what a fabulous geophyte spring we had, um, Mm -hmm. certainly in our area and down south by the Theodore Payne as well. So I will very much look forward to that. And Kat Anderson's book, um, Tending the Wild, is, is just a great a great resource. Yeah, it's um, a must-have if you're in California. Mm-hmm. And I really, um, I am always inspired by by what I read in Fremontia. It always expands something I, I sort of knew but didn't completely know. And as you say, it, we are one of the largest native plant societies in the world. And because of the biodiversity and our being a biodiversity hotspot, I think we are watched and we set a standard for the rest of the world in terms of education and conservation and celebration and awareness of our native flora and all of its ecological niches across our our area. So yeah. um, I will really look forward to following along with your progress on that. Is there anything else you would like to share with the audience about your 
personal belief in the importance of this work. I know you have a young son and you interact with a lot of different environments. Any any last things you would like to share? Yeah. Well, I just think one thing I've really learned through the eyes of my, my young son, or relearned, I should say, is the art of asking questions and how important that is. And asking questions that can't always be answered, but maybe we are then inspired to work over a long period of time to find those answers. And that's something that I've been bringing to students and teachers in Humboldt County. I've been challenging myself. I've been trying to nurture in my son. Um, And there's a lot of great ways to build this sort of uh, relationship with nature, with the natural world, um, including asking questions, but I'm also really excited, and I'll just throw it out there at the end, of, about a lot of the new technologies that can be used to help us engage um, and understand the natural world a little bit better. Maybe Engage might not be the best word, but um, citizen science-type applications like eBird and iNaturalist as a way to help document and create data sets that we can all use into the future. And so I just think that this is an exciting time for people moving forward to reconnect with the landscapes in which they live, and we can use it with technology, and I really think we can, uh, where we can do it with technology, and I think we can nurture it in, in all the people that we know and love just by asking questions and uh, being outside. So, I completely agree with you, and I um, look forward to new technologies and new ways of using the existing technologies to the benefit of our environment and our environmental literacy. Michael Kaufman, thank you very much for being with us today. It's really been an honor. All right, cool. Well, thanks, Jennifer. I really appreciate you asking me to do this. Michael Kaufman is a plant and outdoor enthusiast and advocate. He's editor and founder of Backcountry Press and the author of several books on signature plants of the western forests, including Conifer Country, Conifers of the Pacific Slope, and A Field Guide to Manzanitas. He is the oncoming editor of Fremontia, the journal of the California Native Plant Society. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Hope you listen. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and JewelGarden.com. The program is produced by Sarah Bohannon. For this week's audio archives or to subscribe to the podcast, please visit MyNSPR.org. For more information, including many photos, please visit JewelGarden.com. For daily photos and more, follow Cultivating Place on Instagram and Facebook. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.